Hi, this is Ned Siegfried from Siegfried & Jensen. As proud sponsors of BeliefCast, we hope you are inspired by Todd's weekly podcasts, which contain so many courageous stories of recovery and personal growth. Remember, it's not what happened in the past that matters, it's what happens in the future. We invite you all to work hard and be optimistic about your future. Enjoy today's podcast. Welcome back, everybody. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Sylvester Inspires Belief Cast. Thank you for joining me once again. I am so honored that you guys tune in week after week. I can't believe how we're blowing up. And it's not necessarily because of me. It's more because of these amazing guests that I have come on week after week. And we have an amazing person today. And I'm going to introduce him here, introduce him shortly. I want to give a shout out to our sponsors, Siegfried and Jensen, Wasatch Recovery, and Veracity Networks. Guys, thank you so much for believing in me. I can't tell you how much that means to me. I love you. And uh, I love I love everybody who's tuning in week after week. This has been fantastic. And today is amazing because we have a, a, a beautiful person coming on today. We have a guy named Chad Foster. Chad, thank you for joining us today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Todd. Absolutely. And I, I got some things I want to read about Chad because I think it's important that people understand who this amazing guy is. Um, he is the author of Blind Ambition, How to Go from Victim to Visionary. Chad, um, thank you again. And Chad lost his eyesight as a teenager, but that did not stop him from living an incredible life. And we're going to get to that here in a minute. But Chad is a successful corporate executive and an international motivational speaker. Chad uses his gift of going blind to teach and inspire us to thrive with change, create a more resilient leadership culture, and invite diversity to drive business innovation. Chad is an executive at Red Hat, one of the most innovative tech companies and the world's largest open source software company. Chad was the first blind graduate of Harvard Business School Leadership Program. He did something very amazing that Oracle said that could never be done. He built a software solution that created job opportunities for hundreds of millions of people by giving them the ability to earn a living by becoming the first to create customer relationship software for the visually impaired. That is, that is impressive, Chad. Um, Chad is direct and confident. He has a go for it inspiring belief system, which I really appreciate. Uh, he's a downhill skier. He loves skiing. And that is no joke, people. He skis. Uh, he skis blind, which blows my mind. Um, and Chad is determined, ambitious. He's driven. He speaks all over the world from London to Beijing. And the Atlanta Opera crafted a story inspired by his journey. Chad inspires people to overcome their blind spots. Um, he he does this worldwide. And wow, we are lucky we get Chad today. He's married to, is it Evie? Is that how you say it? Evie. Yeah. Evie, sorry. Chad right. is married to Evie and he's got a daughter, Juliana. So Chad. And son they, Jackson. Oh, and son Jackson. Oh, wow. I didn't know we that. I apologize. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us, Chad. And uh, man, your, your story is fascinating to me. You know, you weren't born blind. It actually happened later in life, which I think for, I think most people hearing this, that would be way harder, I think, because, you know, you knew what it was like to see. And now, you know, here you are that you're blind. And we, let's talk a little bit about that. And uh, just maybe tell us a little bit about your childhood and, you know, a little bit about your family as well. Sure. Yeah. So growing up, I was pretty active. I lived a, a relatively, relatively normal and active childhood at the beginning, at least. But 
even at three years old, my parents noticed that I had problems seeing in really dark areas. So they took me to Duke University uh -huh. where I was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa or RP for short. And that's an inherited genetic eye condition that no one else in my family had seemingly. Right. It was right. It was one of those things to where I was the only person in the family who was symptomatic had real problems in dark areas. But during the day, I had really no problems at all. I drove a car when I got older. I, I played sports, played football, soccer. I wrestled. I, I ran. I, I rode bicycles and motorcycles. And right. I was very, very active growing up. And I, But I did learn the limitations of my eyesight the hard way. And one, one, one way to find out that you can't see something at dusk or at dawn when the when the lighting is not so great is to bump into it or to run into it. Right. And I think that's true in life, right? We find yeah. out what our blind spots are metaphorically in life by bumping into things. And I learned that physically sort of the hard way, but we all learn that metaphorically in life when we bump into things. And that was, you know, that was a challenging period for me, but right. you know, my parents, they were told that they should sign me up for a school for the blind, but instead they signed me up for soccer, which is a bit unusual. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, obviously it sounds like you're a very active kid. Were you, it sounds like, you know, you're a pretty confident kid. Did, is that something that's helped you even to this day? I mean, did you grow up pretty confident? I did. Yeah. I've always been confident in myself with or without eyesight. That didn't, change certainly there was some nuance to it after i went blind i had to think a little bit differently as i as i was going blind and that that happened in college and um you know we ask kids all the time what do you want to be when you grow up and none of them said they want to be a blind person right right yeah. so you have to think about things a little bit differently after you lose your eyesight your entire self-identity gets called into question how you see yourself. And that's a really important part of yeah. how any of us can bounce back from anything or accomplish what we want to accomplish in life is how we choose to see ourselves. You know, if you see right. yourself as a smoker, then you're probably not going to stop smoking. If you see yourself as a, a, a fitness freak, then you're probably not going to stop going to the gym. If you see yourself as someone who can, can never get ahead, you're probably not going to get ahead. And so our self-identity in large part determines our outcomes in life. And I, I never saw myself as a disabled person growing up. I saw myself as someone who yeah. had some challenges, but I never really gave myself that easy out. You know what I'm saying? Right. I never really sure. said, oh, well, you're disabled. And so you should expect less from you. No, I expected, I expected more from me and not necessarily because or you know certainly in spite of my my blindness or my, my looming disability so that's a really important really important concept that hopefully everyone takes away is the way we choose to see ourselves you know the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves and and yeah. how how we choose to show up and the expectations we hold ourselves to it's critically important we can all lower the bars so to speak because of what other people say about us uh, and, and what we should get out of our lives, but that's not really fair. You know, we shouldn't change our expectations for ourselves based on other people's opinions. Right. Wow. That's beautifully said, Chad. I love that. You know, I want to ask you though, I, I can't imagine, I mean, 
how did you how did you feel emotionally as you you knew you had this uh, this rare eye disease and that you were you know you were slowly glowing blind and then when you became blind were you did you get depressed did you did oh, you yeah. feel like you know this isn't fair and you want out that kind of thing oh yeah yeah if, if I could have if I could have ordered a redo I, I would have <laughs> right <laughs> but there was no redo right I was I was asking you know why me this is not fair. I was bitter. I was angry. I was depressed. I was, you pick a, pick an adjective that's not favorable. And that's how I was. And I was that way for a year or two. And I stayed that way for some time until it started occurring to me, you know what? I'm in my early twenties. If I live a long and healthy life, I'll live into my seventies or eighties. Or yeah. And you know, that's 50 years is a whole lot of bitterness. I just, I couldn't tolerate that. I decided yeah. that that was too much time. If it happened in my eighties, you know, maybe I could have been bitter for the rest of my life. It happened in my twenties. That's a lot of bitterness. So I knew that that really wasn't sustainable for me. I wanted to live a happier life. And then something really impactful happened with me when I went to get my first guide dog at leader dogs for the blind. And I show up on campus there. Uh-huh in Michigan with this woe is me mentality. I was a victim. Poor me. Here I am. I'm blind now. And, and I need to get a guide dog to lead me around. And there was some hope getting a dog because I, I love dogs, but there right. was still this looming sadness over top of me. And then I go there to learn how to use a guide dog, but I ended up learning something far more valuable. When I was there, I met people who had multiple impairments. Some of them had mental impairments and they were blind. Yeah. Some of them were on dialysis because they had diabetes that robbed them of their eyesight. And then there were others yeah. there who were deaf and blind and they were getting a guide dog to be independent. Now for these girls, we had to talk with an interpreter who would then sign into their hands. And that was the only way that they could communicate yet. They were getting a guide dog to travel independently. Yeah. Now it's one thing when you meet someone on the street and you hear how rough they have it, but it's another thing altogether when you live with someone and you see their challenges firsthand for an entire month. That moment was a real tipping point for me. Yeah. It taught me that happiness is not a feeling and it's not an emotion. It's a decision that each of us get to make every single day when we, we, when we wake up. We either choose to deliberately frame our perceptions or we allow the circumstances of our lives to determine our happiness for us. Wow. So that was a really important thing. It's like life is, it's like a game of poker. You get, right. you know, you don't get to choose your cards, but you get to choose how you play them. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing, Chad. You know, that leads me to, you know, talking about that choosing to be happy in, in your book, um, in the chapter, dare to be great. I want to read something from there that I think our listeners need to hear. And okay. it goes along with what you were saying. First, you said <laughs> you, um, you were expressing gratitude for living in a time period that offers so many tools for learning and navigating through the day. And then you said, I love this. Like I've always said, now's a great time to go blind. <laughs> and it is a great time to go blind. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I love what you said there, but it's true though. Like you said, the technology and what's going on nowadays versus where it was, you know, 20, 30 years ago, yeah. a huge difference, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and people shouldn't worry. We're not taking applications or anything like that for, to, to go blind, but <laughs> it isn't, it's important how you choose to see a situation, right? I could choose to see the fact that I went blind 
in college, or I could choose to see that I was born into the wealthiest nation on earth at the dawn of the uh, information revolution, you know, with the services-based economy where so much is possible to where I could not only conduct whatever research I wanted online, I could manage my yeah. household finances online. I could use computers and related technology for entertainment, for information, uh, to make investment decisions, all of these things, and for profession. That could not have happened 100 years ago. What say-so did I have in being born in 1976 to where when this happened, right. it would be right at the dawn of the internet? lifting off and paving a way for a services-based economy like nothing we've never seen. What say-so did I have in being born in the United States, right? None of us had any say-so in that, right. despite the fact that we all take it for granted all the time. All of us do. I did too. My yeah. situation forced me to step back and reevaluate. How did I end up here? And, and why did I end up here? And, and what meaning do I choose to attach to my circumstances? And that was a it was a forcing yeah. function for me. But honestly, it's a big part of what I, I teach others about resilience. Now, whether I'm talking to either corporate leadership teams or sales teams or athletes or whomever, it, it you know, the way that we choose to attach meaning to circumstances can either power us forward or it can hold us back. The beautiful thing, it's all within our control. Yeah, love it. You know, and thank you for sharing that, you know, and that that little part that I read, you were actually speaking at the Harvard Club. And you, you went on to talk about, you know, said misadventures, uh, you know, when your eyesight was poor, poor, falling through missing stairs, tumbling into roadside ditches, and, and how your blindness forced you to flush years of college down the drain. And then I want to read this part. Then I told then, then I told of how my belief that excuses are for losers rescued me from those dark days and set me on a more productive path. I said that when I got I said that when I got to leader dogs for the blind, the courage of my fellow classmates taught me life's most valuable lesson. Happiness is not a feeling. Happiness is not an emotion. Happiness is a decision that each of us make makes every day. When we wake up, we either choose to deliberately frame our perception or we allow circumstances of life to determine our happiness because this ladies and gentlemen, this is the key ingredient for improving your happiness, and your vision. I have found from my own personal journey that when you choose happiness, success ultimately follows. So beautifully said. Thank you. Yeah. It, it's true. It's true. I think a lot of people are waiting on some external factor to determine their happiness or this their success. Oh, if, if only I had this promotion or if, oh, only I had this relationship or oh, if only I could get into this school, I would be happy. Right. That's a fool's errand. Yeah. It's a fool's errand because all of a sudden you're shifting, you're placing all of your happiness and your success in the hands of other people. And that's what victims do. Yeah. Victims allow others to determine their happiness and their success in, in their lives. And as uncomfortable as it is, people who thrive in life, they own their circumstances. They have to own their life and its outcomes. I'm not responsible for my blindness. None of us are responsible for all of the circumstances in our lives, but we have to own our life and its outcomes. 
Yeah. If we don't, who is? Yeah. It's my life. I have to own it. It's your life. You have to own it. Mm. If you're waiting on somebody else to make you happy, good luck with that. If you're waiting on somebody else to make you successful, good luck with that. Man. Yeah. If you, yeah. If you don't own your story, it owns you. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I like that. Yeah. So I, I want to talking about, you know, you mentioned earlier about the story we tell ourselves, you know, one thing I've learned is the most powerful force in the human psyche is the story we tell ourselves about ourselves. And you were giving a, a, a keynote speech and you were talking about how, you know, when you went blind, you had, you had two stories you could tell yourself. One was I went blind because I have extremely bad luck. And then story number two, I went blind because I am one of those very few people on this planet with the strength and toughness to overcome it and help others. Talk about how you got to that point where you started choosing a more powerful story. Cause either both of those stories are true, (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. but talk about the power of story that we tell ourselves. Well, the, the stories that we choose to tell ourselves fundamentally, and this is, I completely agree with the way that you led into this. This is the most powerful part of the human psyche it determines whether or not we are, are victims who stay trapped or we're visionaries who bounce back. It wow. is the very foundation for resilience. If you look it up in psychology, maybe they call it cognitive reframing. Mm-hmm. I call it the stories that we tell ourselves. But take, for example, what you just said that I talk about in, in my keynotes, those two different stories. One story, the first story, the poor me, I went blind because I have bad luck. That frames me up as a victim. Yeah. And I can't really do anything with that story. I can't move forward. I cannot power ahead with that story. The second story, the one that says I went blind because I'm one of the very few people on the planet with the strength and toughness to overcome it and help others with it, takes my blindness, my perceived disadvantage, and reframes that as my strength. I went blind because I'm one of the few people strong enough to overcome it and use it to help others. Now, all of a sudden, I've started telling myself that I went blind because I'm strong mentally and that I can move beyond myself and start helping other people with the lessons I've learned with going blind. I've reframed my struggle, my blindness, into my strength. Not only does that equip me to navigate the obstacles that my blindness presents me, but it also equips me to navigate all of the obstacles that life throws at me. And after years of telling myself this story, I'm convinced no matter what happens to me in my life, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to navigate whatever life throws at me. I've proven to myself that I can handle adversity, but more importantly, I've peppered myself with the thoughts the mental repetitions that I am adaptive and I'm mentally strong and I can overcome whatever life throws at me and I can use it as a tool to reach and inspire people to teach others how to navigate the curveballs that life throws at us all. Yeah. Wow. I love that. Yeah. The stories that we tell ourselves are so powerful. You, you mentioned, I, and I, I agree. I totally agree that you're probably one of the few 
that is tough enough to handle this. <laughs> and, and you do a really great job at it. And more importantly, you're one of these guys that loves to help other people. Why is helping other people such a big part of what you do? And why are you so passionate about that? It makes going blind worth it. Mm. Wow. And it, this was one of the things that didn't really occur to me until, you know, five, six, seven years ago. When I was, I went to, to HBS, I was there uh, for this executive leadership program that you had mentioned before. So I, I was working at a company, my, the one I worked at prior to Red Hat, and I was leading our pricing strategy and solutions team. And I, you know, brought in over $45 billion in contracts. And mm -hmm. they asked me what they could do for me. And for some strange reason, I said, send me to Harvard. And for some stranger reason, they said, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I get to go to Harvard and I'm, I'm yeah. there studying with Bill George, who is the former CEO of Medtronic, author of Discover Your True North. He's mm. a senior fellow there at HBS. Yeah. And it became very obvious to me what my true north was. And my true north I had been ignoring for some time, and that is using the lessons of what I'd learned to help others. And it became obvious, I, yeah, I really always had people come up every so often and say, hey, you know, you're inspiring, you know, it's, and I wouldn't be doing anything to be inspiring. I would be, you know, showing up at work or traveling the airport or, you know, going to a foreign country or maybe just going to my daughter's elementary school and talking to her second grade class not doing anything other than what I had to do. That's yeah. all I was doing was what I had to do to be successful, to accomplish my goals and my dreams and all those, the, the things that we all do, right? We all do what we yeah. have to do. So I never really saw myself as inspiring. But when I started learning about discover your true North and how powerful that is, it started occurring to me that I needed to, to do more. I had an obligation to do more. And I had this feeling I was going to be elected as our graduating speaker. And so I started preparing for it. And as you mentioned, I delivered the talk there at the Harvard club in Boston. And there I saw for the first time, just how meaningful and impactful it could be. And it was very powerful for my classmates, but it was equally, if not more powerful for me, because I saw firsthand for, for the very first time, if I were to be intentional about using my story to help other people, how fulfilling it could be for me, I discovered that blindness was actually this really beautiful gift that was disguised in some ugly wrapping paper. And I never would have known that had I not seen the impact that it had on other people, because when I could use my story to connect with them in that very deep and personal way to inspire and motivate and challenge them to live happier and more successful lives, when I did that, it was very moving for me. I'm not a real warm and fuzzy guy, Todd. You know, that's just not how I'm wired. Right. But when you can connect with another human being in that way, it's electrifying. Yeah. The feeling was, it was magical. And I knew at that moment I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. And that obviously was the foundation of the inspiration for me continuing on the journey and writing the book, Blind Ambition. Yeah, man. A very, very well said again. And I love what you said earlier helping others makes going blind worth it. I think our listeners and including myself, I need to hear this because I think 
when we're going through something really difficult, like you said, a lot of times we go into that victim mindset and it's like, and I think victim mindset keeps us from reaching out and helping other people. And it's when we finally say, you know what, like you said, I don't want to have 50 years of bitterness. <laughs> I mean, that's a long time it's, to it's, just it's bad be enough bitter. to be blind, but blind and bitter for 50 years. Come on. It's terrible. Yeah. And I've always thought, uh, Chad, and I, and I'm, I, I'm sure you'll agree that adversity is our, the wake up call to our greatness. And I think this thing that you've been through, obviously going blind is a huge adversity. And most people would be like, man, I don't know if I could do it. But this adversity, man, it's really bringing out the greatness that's in you. You said you're not a warm and fuzzy guy, but at the same time, you're this guy that's making an impact on people's lives where they go. I mean, we've been talking here for maybe 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and I'm I'm right now just sitting here going, man, I, you're inspiring me right now. Like, okay, I need to be better here. <laughs> I need to be better here. I'm going to work harder here. It's just amazing just what you're saying, the truths that you're sharing with us today. Thank you. Well, you know, a life without adversity removes any opportunity for growth. How many people want a life with no adversity? I right. don't. Yeah. If we don't ever face adversity in our lives, we never grow. How fulfilling would a life be if all we did was push a button and everything we wanted showed up on our doorstep? You know, Amazon's yeah. great, but what if everything <laughs> what if everything in our life was like Amazon Prime, you know? Oh, I, I want a successful career push a button and it happens. I don't ever have to work for it. Yeah. Oh, I want a great relationship, push a button, no effort required. If there's no effort required and anything that we do, how fulfilling can our life be? Right. How fulfilling would it be, you know, to, to get the great view at the mountaintop, isn't it better when the mountain's just a little bit steeper, when you can appreciate the view, when you get to the top, I really believe that life begins outside of our comfort zone. I, that's where growth takes place. We have to we have to constantly push ourselves and expand our comfort zone. And the only way, the main way that we can do that is by facing adversity, by overcoming obstacles in our lives. Yeah, wow, that's so true. We have, it's like the greater, I, I got a, a statement that I love that you, you just reminded me of what you were just saying there. The, the greater the darkness, the greater the light we wouldn't appreciate the light had we not gone through the darkness or the adversity. And, you know, like you said, you know, we appreciate climbing the mountain and getting to the summit because we climbed the mountain, right? <laughs> yeah. What, what, how enjoyable would it be if we had a helicopter drop us off? <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't be nearly as enjoyable. Absolutely. And I know it's ironic, a blind guy talking about the view at the top of a mountain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing I love about you, Chad, is your sense of humor. You got, you know, you usually start off your keynote uh, speeches with uh, some humorous jokes about, you know, what you're going through. And it's actually really, it's really nice to see that, you know. <laughs> well, you, you know, you have to keep it real. I have to keep yeah. it real. I take my job very seriously, but I don't take my situation too seriously. Yeah. Yeah. We're all in part of this shared human experience. We're all here for a short time. We have to have fun while we're here. Sure. We want to have an impact, but if I can't laugh and I can't have a good time, including laughing at me and some of the stuff that I've been through and some of the stuff that I do, what's the point? You know, I, I definitely want to have fun and try and lighten people up. But I've found that using humor is a great way to disarm people and kind of lay the groundwork that we're all part of this human experience, yeah. you know, try not to, 
take things so seriously. Certainly not with me. Don't worry about what I'm saying or, you know, what words that you say or, you know, I, I just I want people to be able to relate and relax and consume the information. And I know that if I can use a little humor to disarm the tension in a situation or the anxiety or the uncertainty or the awkwardness, you know, humor is a great tool for that. And if I can do that, then I might be able to to yeah. connect with them on a level where they can benefit from the messages that I, that I have to share. Yeah. I think that's why you're so good at what you do, Chad, is for that very reason. And, you know, I, we mentioned earlier, you have this go for it, inspiring belief system. I, what I want to talk about, because I, this is something that really means a lot to me. And I, and I know this is imp- very, uh, could be life-changing for most people is cultivating a, a belief system like that. You know, you mentioned mental repetitions and things like that. How do you, how did you go from victim to victor to champion? I mean, what does your day look like? Like, what do you do to train your mind? And I'd love to hear what you do to kind of get yourself to that place. Well, the first thing that I do is I, years ago, I I took inventory of when Chad is showing up, when I'm showing up as my best self. And so there are certain days, you know, certain days when you just feel on, you know what I mean? When you just, you feel like you're on fire, you go into meetings, you go into interviews, you go into whatever, and you just feel like you can't do any wrong. It's, you just feel great. You're showing up as your best self. The first thing to do is start identifying those days, those times and start journaling. You know, what did I do today? What did I do yesterday? And start getting a log of, how do I show up as my best self? And then all of a sudden you start identifying the formula for your best you. And that's a really important thing. I I did that years ago and I found out that the formula for my best me is getting up early. It's getting my workout in at 5 a.m. It's getting some mindfulness time in every day before my day starts. I like to think of it you know, when you fly, you get on the airplane and they always they give you the standard security protocol. And if cabin pressure drops, masks will drop from the ceiling Yeah. and secure your mask before you secure the mask of others. Well, that's what I do in the morning. I'm securing my mask. Mm. I am taking care of my body. I'm taking care of my mind so that whatever turbulence we face throughout the course of the day, I know that I am better equipped to deal with that. That's the foundation for everything for me. It's knowing how I show up as my best self and then repeating that formula every day so that you're putting yourself in the best possible situation to be your best you day to day. That, that's, the, that's the first thing. I think the, uh, the second thing is constantly pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. Now, I've lived most of my life out of my comfort zone, if I'm being very honest. I think right, right. You, you're growing up and you can't see very well. You're learning the limitations of your eyesight at dusk or at dark. That's a really uncomfortable thing, slamming into obstacles, going to the hospital a bunch, right? and then going blind in college. That was pretty uncomfortable. Getting a guide dog and then walking into university classes with a 100 pound German shepherd, that's uncomfortable walking in the job interviews, conference rooms, traveling all over the United States and then globally going into 
a hotel gym at 5 a.m. in China or Singapore when you can't see, you can't speak the language, you can't find the machinery. All those things are uncomfortable. Yeah. But when you do that over and over and over, you rinse and repeat, you push yourself outside of your comfort zone, you start to notice your comfort zone expanding. And as you expand your comfort zone, your confidence begins to grow. You realize, you know what? This was scary at first. It's not as bad as I thought it was. It's manageable. Yeah. And that starts to really build more and more internal self-confidence to take on more and more and more. And eventually you get to the point to where you're so self-confident that you think, you know what, I'm blind, but I think I can ski this double black diamond. What's the worst that can happen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's the worst? <laughs> oh, man. I love it, man. That That's very good advice. I, I've heard it said, and I've really tried to put this into my own life. That if you win the first hour of the day, you win the day. If you lose the first hour of the day, you spend the rest of the day looking for it. Completely. It's for me, that's crucial. Getting that, getting that repeatable formula so that you can, again, it's, you know, you got to secure your mask before you secure the masks of others. You can't yeah. take care of anybody if you're not in, in good shape yourself. Yeah, totally agree. Well, you mentioned skiing a black diamond. I I'd love, I'd love to ask you about how, how, in, how in the world do you ski and, and, Tell us about the first time you, you, you attempted to do this. Well, when I ski, someone skis behind me and we're both wearing helmets with earpieces. Okay. To communicate with one another. And I should clarify where we're, I'm particularly wearing a very good helmet, which if you're a blind skier, you need a very good helmet, <laughs> which, <laughs> right. which, which I have because I have crashed a lot. I didn't know how to ski before I went blind. I learned how to ski after... I went blind at the tender age of 38. <laughs> right. And it was a little bumpy, not going to lie. It was a little <laughs> bumpy. But the, I told the, the ski pro, and, and so my friend called me. I guess I'll back up for a second. My friend called me and said, hey, I'm in here in Aspen, Colorado. And a friend of mine has a has condo. There's a program out here called Challenge Aspen where they can teach you how to ski. I just said, my initial response was, I'm an adventurous person, Paul, but that just doesn't sound very safe. You know, <laughs> I, just, I just don't know about skiing. You know, aren't there right. other things? Maybe should we try something else? Badminton or, I don't know, golf or, so, you know, something a little safer. And he's like, no, no, it's, it's possible. So <laughs> I go to Aspen the next year. And I am always like, I'm, I'm 110% into everything, right? I, right? I cannot halfway do something. Yeah. If I'm going to halfway do it, I don't even want to be a part of it, right? It's either I'm either on or I'm off. There's really not a lot of in between. So I kept pushing the ski pro out there, ski pros there, and they're experts. These people are phenomenal. They guide people down the mountain all the time. They, they help people with different physical constraints, learn how to ski and, and do lots of other things. And yeah. so they're absolute pros, but I kept pushing Sonia out there and I said, you know, I want to know that I have flirted with my edge of control. So if I don't have a major wreck before I leave, then I'm not really sure I'm pushing myself. I want to make sure that I'm flirting with my edge of control. So I got my wish the last day I ended up having a major yard sale as, as the slang for it on the mountain. 
Right. Come to find out, I separated my shoulder. I didn't know it. I found out later that I separated my shoulder and still got a, a few runs in. And I, I called my wife from the medic there on the side of the mountain. I said, hey, what's going on, hon? She's like, hey, how's it going? Oh, it's going great. It's going great. Everything's <laughs> fine. She's like, did you have a good time? Yeah, I had a great time. I had a great time. <laughs> hey, by the way, what's our healthcare account number, membership <laughs> number? And she's like, oh, my God, what's going on? Because, you know, you can imagine she can see she's, you know, she was obviously not very comfortable with me going for sure, to the mountain to downhill <laughs> ski, being blind, knowing my personality, and so she's a little, little more conservative than I am. But she, she flipped her lid a little bit there. But <laughs> and now we have this agreement every day when I go, I'll text her when I'm off the mountain just to let her know that I'm not, I'm not injured or right. hurt, some stranded somewhere. But that was the first <laughs> time. That's the only time that I've, I've ever been hurt seriously on the mountain. Ironically, it was my first trip. Wow. Well, that's so impressive that you do that. You also talk a lot about, you know, how, you know, how we're all, you know, we have fear of failure. And you mentioned like, if we're not failing from time to time, we're not pushing ourselves hard enough. And talk about that a little bit, Chad, like why, why, why does fear, why do we let fear control us so much? I think people don't really tend to think about fear in the broader context. Um, and and what, what I mean by that is there are fears and then there are counter fears. And then there's the broader context of what do I want out of my life? What, what do I want to think when I look back on my life? What am I more scared of? Right. And so I'll do this mental exercise of zooming ahead in my life, like I talked about earlier, uh, when I said lift, living 50 years in bitterness. Right. Think about the same thing as it relates to fear. When you look back on your life 50 years from now, what are you more scared of? Are you more, more scared of saying, well, I tried this and I tried that. I failed at some. I succeeded at some. But I tried everything I wanted to try. Or are you more scared of saying, well, I don't know, because I wanted to do this, but I was too scared to try. So now I don't know just how much I could have done. I don't know if I could have accomplished that. I don't know what my full potential could have been. I don't know how wildly different my life could be right now. The fear of the unknown, the fear of not knowing that's the counter fear that i'm talking about sure right. there's fear of failure we all yeah. have this instinctive drive to not want to fail none of us want to fail yeah uh, i don't want to fail but I, I do believe if we're not failing every now and then, then we're not we're not aiming high enough we have to to aim high enough to know that we're stretching ourselves and, and pushing ourselves to our full potential but that fear of not knowing what is possible, not knowing if we reached our full potential, the fear of regret. Yeah. That's the fear that terrifies me because right. we don't get any do-overs. We don't get to go back and go, you know what? This might've been my life. I'm going to the grave with something that I, I could have given the world. 
but I didn't because I didn't have the courage. I couldn't step through the fear. Right. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is doing something despite the presence of fear. We have to step through the fear. It's fine to be scared. We all get scared. I get scared all the time. It's fine. We all do. What's not fine is giving in to the fear and not making a decision because of the fear, especially when there's no real physical harm. I'm not talking about jumping out of a plane without a parachute, doing something stupid. Sure. But I am talking about this fear of failure and maybe what other people think and embarrassment and and all these other things that go in, you know, that that go through people's minds. We, We can't, we can't take our gifts that we've been given. We can't take those gifts with us to the grave, right? We have to really make sure that we live our best life. And the only way to do that is to step through the fear. Wow. Love that. So beautifully said. Thanks for sharing that, Chad. I want to, I want to talk to you. I want to talk about, I mean, there's so many things to talk about. I don't know how um, I can, you know, rank these, but (laughs) one of the things that really stood out to me in your story is, is the sacrifice that your mother made for you. Mm -hmm. And I, I would love for you to share the sacrifice that your mom made for you and just talk about how much that meant to you and what she did. And just, she sounds like an amazing person. Yeah, I learned a lot of what I know, obviously, from both of my parents, but my mom, especially the amount of selflessness that you mentioned, the amount of patience, Mm -hmm. the amount of commitment that she had to do everything that she had done, obviously, the courage of allowing me to, to live as full of a life as possible. But then when I was in college, and my eyesight faded completely was back in 99, 98. There was no Amazon Kindle back then. You couldn't get books electronically. Yeah. So when you're in college and you can't see to read, that's kind of a problem because there's a lot of reading in college, you know? <laughs> sure, that is a problem. <laughs> that is a it's kind of a major problem. And so my mother literally read every single one of my college books to cassette wow audio cassette every single one my dad would go to work she would be reading books he would come home she would still be reading books she would read until her voice was down to a rasp and that was really it showed commitment it showed patience it showed selflessness and it was very inspiring for me because when someone is putting that much effort into helping you, how can you let them down? Yeah. And I ended up reading all of my textbooks twice. That was my new learning system. I, I was having to relearn how to learn. Yeah. So I would read each book twice. I would listen to each recorded lecture twice. And then I would go over my notes with a note taker that the university gave me. And it turned out I was a better blind student than sighted student. Wow. I ended up making straight A's <laughs> in all of my business classes and made the dean's list and Man. went on to work for a top consulting firm. But when someone sacrifices that much, you can't let them down. Yeah. You absolutely cannot let them down. And then 
as I started making my grades, my mom got a job just to help me live the lifestyle that I wanted to live. I needed to live on campus because it was easier for me to walk, obviously not being able to drive very well when you can't see. It wasn't quite as safe as you know, <laughs> right. safe to drive anymore. My, my, and my German shepherd, he was fine. The, the clutch would throw my German shepherd off. So he, he wasn't a very good driver either. But so we would have to walk to and from classes. So I lived on campus and she would she would work just so that I could, you know, that they could afford for me to, to live over there on campus and live as normal of a life as I could, as long as I was making the grade. So as long as I continued to make A's, I would continue to get flexibility to do what I needed to do. And obviously that, that panned out well for me because the grades allowed me to get a, a good job and it created the right habits, which we all need the right habits. Having good intentions are fine, but intentions without actions are useless. Right. <laughs> so I had the right actions and habits to enable me to a, a, adapt and, and even thrive in my circumstances. Wow. Well, you know, props to your mom and your dad and for the sacrifices they've made. You know, one of the things I do, Chad, with my clients, I'll ask them, what's the definition of love? And, you know, you get a bunch of different answers and they're all great and they're all good. But one of the best definitions, and I think the one that hits it just right on the spot is love equals sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And you, you look at the sacrifice, your mom specifically, we're talking about what she did for you and mm-hmm. to be able to. I mean, I think you mentioned she obviously read all these books, but then she'd get up early and go to her bookkeeping job and, and just talk about, I mean, that's the ultimate sacrifice for you. And she did it because obviously she loves you. You You're absolutely spot on. It's, it's moving beyond yourself. She taught me the meaning of love and it is moving beyond yourself. It's selflessness. It's yeah. With no guarantee of, any return. I, I could have just as easily had decided that, you know what, school's not for me, but she took that chance. She took that chance and spent all of that time reading all those books. And Man. that for me is just, it's, uh, it's awe inspiring because yeah. I think a lot of people want to help their children. Most people would, would do something similar, but when the rubber meets the road, to sit down and read all of those books and do the, you know, the job that she had on a day-to-day basis, plus everything else she had going on in her life, yeah. juggling all of those things on my schedule, on the school schedule. is pretty remarkable. It's, yeah. it's mind blowing. So yeah. it, it taught me the meaning of love. And I, uh, I, I think for me, it's, it's selflessness and that's, inspired me to start doing what I'm doing now, moving beyond myself. I've looked at my own career and my own situation was very inwardly focused for the first 15 years or so of my career. And now I started looking around saying, you know what, I could, I could do more to help people with this and doing more requires that I share openly parts of my journey and what helped to get me over the hump. Cause I realized that not many people go through a situation like I've gone through and end up happier and more successful than before. But I'm genuinely happier now than I was when I could see I'm genuinely more successful now than before when I could see. And I know that there are some unique things that happened. Some were 
a result of my decisions. Some were a result of the support that I had and love from others. And some were a result of maybe serendipity. Yeah. But I've learned things that I need to share with other people and moving beyond myself to share these things with people using my struggle to reach and connect with other people is very, it's very fulfilling. And it's, it, yeah. like I said earlier, it makes going blind worth it, which is a bizarre, bizarre I... thing to say for the first time, bizarre thought to have, but it really is true. There's so much reward that comes from it. It's really hard to describe. No, that's wow. Thank you. For, thanks for sharing that chat. And you know that it is, it's mind blowing. And, and, and to hear you say you're happier now than, than you were before that, that just says a lot. And, and again, your perspective on this is truly inspiring to me. And I, I'm sure everyone listening to this right now and anyone who will read your book, uh, it really is just mind blowing. And again, going back to what you said, making, you know, this is just makes helping others is making blind worth it. You know, I work with a lot of drug addicts and alcoholics who have blown up their lives and they often wonder what you just said is like, why am I going through this? And I think it is to get to that point where you can help other people and you'll be generally much happier after this adversity. And that, that you're a perfect example of that, Chad. Yeah, it's, it, it gets down to coming to the realization that, you know, you could attach meaning to your circumstances that keeps you trapped, or, or you can attach meaning to your circumstances that powers you forward. The circumstances themselves aren't changing. I could yeah. sit around and, and feel sorry for myself and that wouldn't correct my eyesight. It wouldn't fix anything. All it would do would be to ruin my present and my future. And yeah. there, there's so many different directions it could go in, but it all does start with mindset. How you choose to interpret the situation, that does affect the way that you feel. It does, it does affect the words that you use, the actions that you take, the people you associate with, your profession. And once you can start to connect your purpose with your passion and your talents and link that to your profession, all of a sudden you found this beautiful intersection of working towards something that's bigger than you. Yeah. And if you can, you can do that and, you know, send your kids to school all at the same time, right? You've, you've really hit the trifecta, just being able to help other people with what you've learned through your own journey and, and, and doing that in pursuit of something bigger than you, that's, that's really where it's at. Wow. Love that, Chad. Love it. You know, I want to ask a question here, just, and then we're going to get into how people can get a, get a hold of you and reach out to you. If there's someone listening to this story right now, listening to you, who's in a really dark place, they're struggling, they're not sure what to do. You've already given some amazing advice, but what's one thing you could say right now to that person who's right now going, I'm stuck, Chad. I don't know what to do. My life's not good. I don't want to be here. What would you tell them? I would tell them to push the pause button for just a moment on the rumination. Push the pause button on the rumination and step back. And for just 10 minutes, and I'd like them to write down what it is that I'm going to ask them to do. I would like to, them to reimagine what greatness, what their vision of greatness would be. Mm. If they could have their wildest dreams come true, 
But here's the catch. That wildest dream of greatness has to include their unchangeable circumstances. And by unchangeable, I mean, if they have a loved one they've lost, that person's not coming back, okay? If they have a, a, a blindness that, that there's no cure for, right? It's hard to say, all right, I'd like to be able to see again, right? It has to include unchangeable facts. What is the boldest vision of greatness that they can think of? How can they make their situation look good? I had to figure out how I could make blind look good. Right. That's not an easy thing to do. <laughs> I love right. that, man. That's powerful. But it's true, right? Yeah. If I can never reimagine how I can make blind look good, how can I move towards acceptance? But if you can push pause on the rumination, you can step back and get real. And when I mean get real, I want you to, to be bold and say, you know what? Say you're, I don't know what, what's going on in your life, but if it's, if it's money, be bold on the money. If it's relationship, be bold on the relationship. If it's profession, be bold on the profession. It has to be bold. If it's bold enough, it can inspire you to take action, but right. it has to include things that you can't control. Like for me, it was my blindness. I, I, I couldn't sit back and go, all right, I can make blind look good by being able to see again. No, that doesn't work. Right. It's got to factor in the, the reality, but if it's bold enough to move us to action, we can start working towards the things inside our sphere of influence. I could start working on relearning how to learn, getting a college degree, learning how to write code to engineer my software without being able to see my computer screen, learning how to Jeez. give a keynote presentation, learning how to write a book, learning how to win lots of contracts in the business world. All of those things were within inside my sphere of influence. They weren't easy to do, but with this bold vision of greatness, it can move you to action. If you don't have a bold vision of greatness for you, that's step number one. You've got to step back and figure out, all right, what can I envision? Because it's envision. Envision comes from within, right? Eyesight is what we see around us. Vision is what we see within us. So we have to step back and envision what that bold new reality is going to be for us. That can move us to action because we can have all the hopes and dreams in the world, but hopes and dreams without actions are worthless, right? We have to be yeah. able to take action. And the best way to take action is to have something that is inspiring enough to move us. So that, that would be my advice is to step back and start thinking about what that vision is. And then once they do that, they can start, building out a plan that says, all right, that's what I want to be. That's my vision of greatness for me and my situation. Now, what are the things that are inside my sphere of influence that I need to work on? For me, it was you know, getting, it was re relearning how to learn. I, that was kind of important. And then it was getting yeah. a college degree and making good grades and then getting my first job. And all of those pieces can be worked and if we have the right vision of greatness for ourselves that factors in the unchangeable facts, but also is bold enough to move us to action, then we've got a shot to start creeping forward and moving towards that vision. Wow. Beautifully said, Chad. That is amazing. Great advice for all of us. And, and if we are struggling, take, take action, like you said. And I love, I love when you said vision comes from within and coming from you to hear that it, it has so much more impact 
And uh, I just love that. And I do have to say, this might sound weird, Chad. I hope this is okay. But your mm -hmm. your cover to your book is freaking badass. It looks amazing. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it really is a really killer uh, looking cover. And um, thank you. That that was beautiful, Chad. Thank you so much. Um, if people want to reach out to you, Chad, and they want to, you know, learn more about you, they want to buy your book, they want to, you know, when's your next keynote, all this stuff, anything that you're doing, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Yeah, they can find me at my website, which is chadefoster.com. We're on all of the social media feeds. All yeah. of those are on my website, but it's find Chad E. Foster for Facebook and Instagram at Chatty Foster for Twitter, We're on LinkedIn, I have a YouTube channel. And they can go onto my website, find out more about the book, find out more about my keynotes and, and workshops that I that I conduct. But that's all again, chadefoster.com. And the book itself is it's everywhere that they buy books. So it's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Great. Bookshop, Books a Million, Apple Books, et cetera, et cetera. So any any place where books are sold, they'll be able to find the book. Love it. Love it. Love it. Well, Chad, I want to thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy day and spending some time with me. This was a great way to start my Saturday with you. Uh, I, I feel energ energized and, and I, I'm excited to implement these things that you you teach. I want to keep and I want to share it with my family and with my clients that I meet with. I can't wait to let them know that you'll never believe who I interviewed. <laughs> and, uh, but thank you for being willing to be vulnerable with me today and with, and just how you're not afraid to go help people, how it makes, you know, going blind worth it. What I couldn't think of a greater message than just that tagline right there. That's amazing to me, but you're, you're amazing, Chad. And, you know, I can't tell you, you how much, how grateful I am for your time today. My pleasure. I appreciate the conversation. It was fun. And uh, yeah, if people have questions, if you have questions, I'm, I'm uh, you know, a phone call away. All of that information's out there. Happy to connect. Beautiful. Thank you, Chad. Well, there you go, folks. I told you this was going to be amazing. Chad Foster, he uh, is, you know, one of a kind. Um, he is the, again, the author of B Blind Ambition, How to Go from Victim to Visionary. Please go check out his book and buy it and support him. And I'm telling you, this book's amazing. I, I, I'm going to read it again and again and again. I, I've learned so much. Um, Chad is also someone who tells himself the story now that he went blind because he's one of the very few people on this planet with the strength and toughness to overcome it and help others, which makes going blind worth it. Wow. There you go, guys. Please reach out to him. And again, thank you for all your support. Please share this with everyone you know, especially those you know who are struggling, who aren't taking action. Maybe this is the one thing they need to hear. And when they see how Chad lives his life, I'm telling you, it. I mean, I, I've got goosebumps just talking about this, and I'm just so blessed and grateful for this opportunity to meet with such great people like Chad. Please, guys, I'm here for you to help. Please reach out to Chad. You can reach out to me. We love you, and uh, all the best to you until next time. Thanks again, Chad. My pleasure. Thank you, Todd.